Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Regional advisor for the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators here in Arizona. So if anybody's writing for kids or thinking about writing for kids, uh, that's a great supportive organization with a lot of resources that you get for your membership uh, um, without even the activities that I support and put on and the webinars and all of that. So um, we have free... Kidlet Mingle groups that meet all over the state, and we have a group in Tucson specifically, uh, as well as other places, and we also meet on Zoom. So Mm -hmm. illustrators as well as writers can find uh, opportunities with with SCBWI if you're thinking about writing for kids, or if you do write for kids, or if you're thinking whatever you're writing is turning into a Kidlet book. And I want to right now um, put a kibosh on anybody's thinking that kid books are easy and that, oh yeah, kids, you know, anybody can write for kids because it ain't true. Um, Picture books are the hardest format, to be honest with you. They're very, very difficult because if you're not also an illustrator, you have to be thinking in terms of leaving room for the, the illustrations, but also the format itself, the page turn, everything about a picture book is part of the storytelling it's part of structure for picture books, so they're very hard and are very competitive. Uh, novels for, for middle grade are novels, and they're good, solid novels, and you have to have your craft intact and do all the things. Uh, you just have to make sure that the goals and the um, concerns and the barriers that you throw in the way for your characters are age appropriate. And with middle grade, you're not looking at quite as many subplots and threads because they can only hold so much. And then when you get into young adult, we start dealing with some really important topics. And so um, so I do write across the ages from picture book on up to adult. It's, But it's my niche is pretty much speculative fiction, fantasy in particular, some science fiction, paranormal, and um, now... Uh, I've added a little bit of light horror, dark, uh, dark fantasy, um, and with some humorous twists to this book. That's my newest book, Blood from a Rose. It just came out in September, and it's short fiction and poetry. So, so that's a bunch about me. And I've been doing this writing stuff for a long time. I wanted to be a writer when I grew up. When I was in fourth grade, I want to be a writer when I grew up. And then one day I woke up and I realized, oh, I was a technical writer, and that's not what I meant. Uh, so I had to change the mantra. I want to be a well-published fiction author when I grow up. And I'm doing okay. I have nine novels out, two, two collections, a picture book, and a few other odds and ends. So, so today we're going to talk about characters, the good, the bad, and the unlikable. 
And I want to have this conversation with you. This is not going to be me just talking at you. I don't like to just talk at you because you're all here because you're interested in reading and or writing uh, books. And so I know you have all kinds of information. When I do these kinds of talks, I learn as much as I share typically and I always want to learn. So we're here to learn from each other hopefully today. Um, but I will kick it off and I will say that I think that for protagonists, you can have a protagonist that is good, you can have a protagonist that's bad, you can have a protagonist that's unlikable, you can have a very ambiguous protagonist, and we're just talking protagonist now, we're not talking about all the characters, as long as they're um, accessible and relatable. I think the real key is that you, we have to be able to relate to the character. We have to understand their reasons for why they're doing things. So motivation is huge. Uh, Lisa Cron has a book out called um, Story Genius that talks about the root causes and the initial misbeliefs of the character. If you think of the terms, so she's kind of pushed us, you know, we always talk about the flawed character. What are their flaws, right? But when we think of flaws, we think of things like, oh, what are the opposite of a strength? We think of a weakness. We think, we tend to think, oh, you've got a foible or you've got a flaw. Your flaw is, you know, and, and a strength can be both, a, um, a, an aspect of personality can be both a strength and a weakness because you can, once you go over the line, you can take loyalty to a scary place, right? You can take um, all sorts of aspects of what we would consider strengths to those places where they become a scary, scary thing or a weakness. So loyalty to a fault can become a weakness for a character. So strengths and weaknesses are, you know, that's great and we, we need to have them because we don't want Mary Sue's. And what's, what's the uh, male? Gary Sue. Gary Stu. I knew there was. I knew there was one. You know what? Mary Susan Gary Stu. Uh, unless you're from Phoenix, in which case it's Clive Cupware. Yeah. Uh. We don't want two perfect uh, characters because who among us can relate to a perfect character? Wait, I think somebody will raise their hand here. <laughs> Anybody? Not me. I'm. I find if if somebody's really too perfect, uh, they scare me because there's something sneaky going on been there experienced that so um so it's not really so much about strengths and weaknesses it's not so much about um what you might consider the flaws but if you think of that misbelief that a character has that they carry with them that's usually developed when at a young age or at an early um, time in life an example might be i'm unlovable and so as they go through life it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that they, the ways that they act and the choices they make, they become unloved. If not unlovable, unloved, right? And so that misbelief is that really great button that you can push. You can push their buttons all day long if they have a misbelief that you clearly have developed and understand about your character. And we all have buttons, and they can have more than one button, but that one is key. Right. So when I'm working on creating characters, of course, for me, it's 
it's really about the voices in my head. And so uh, they annoy me until I start writing their stories. And sometimes they tell me who they are and sometimes it takes time for them to let me in. I have a, I do have one book called Mirabella and the Faded Phantom in which the character wouldn't let anybody in. Part of her, part of her misbelief, her basic misbelief was you don't want to make friends or get close to anybody because the people that you get close to will die or go away. Right? And so she was. She holds everyone at arm's length and she uses uh, some very young person techniques for doing that. She calls them scientific experiments, her mother calls them pranks, uh, but the whole idea for her is to just keep people at arm's length. And when I first was writing her, she was keeping me at arm's length. And that was a very difficult book to write because I couldn't figure out who she really, really was or what the story was, but I kept at it. And now I have a pretty well-received middle grade book out of that. So um, characters can be good, bad, and unlikable. Anybody, anybody want to comment on that? Can a character be good, bad, and unlikable? Sure, look at a, a most Greek myth. Mm -hmm. I mean, hubris is the main driver in a lot of them, and I'm sorry, uh, Agamemnon is an ass. Yeah, <laughs> and yet we, we are fascinated. There's almost a train wreck kind of fascination with that, right? I mean, if you look at the Odyssey, um, or the Iliad, rather, um, God, there's so many people in there they hate. It's not even funny, and they're the heroes. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, but some of that is cultural too, and and in the in the times that we live in, I mean, maybe at the time they were cons they weren't as unlikable to the audience, but yes, uh, they're pretty unlikable now. I don't know how they would have been un uh, more likable then, but uh, I didn't live then, so I, I'm not going to second guess what I might. I'm have pretty been. sure Agamemnon's been an ass. <laughs> <laughs> everybody thought so. Yeah, everybody thought so even then. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, yeah. He's not written in the best light. <laughs> yeah, but what was it about that man like 2,500 years ago? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And um, King Lear, I mean... Oh, yeah, he's kind of an ass. He's a total ass, and, and yet you just can't look away, right? You just... Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, but, but let's talk about why that is. What is it that's happening to that character or around that character that makes us so fascinated and so interested in the full story? Anybody? I'm laughing because I'm thinking, uh, you want to answer that? Ask a Democrat about Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not go there tonight. No, 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 no. I would think that part of it would be We'll go back to Agamemnon because I recently reread re -read the, um, mm. the Iliad. You want to watch him crash and burn. You, you, you want to see it happen. You know it's coming. You want to see that. So that's one, one reason. That's one way to look at it. But isn't it also a cautionary tale? I mean, yeah. Remember that. Okay, so story. Where does story come from? Story comes from sitting around the fire at night and talking about, oh, I killed this big bad animal, and here's all the meat, and we're hoo hoo hoo, and we had a great, really great feast, and we're gonna eat for months. But Fred ate the berries. You know those berries over there? Well, Fred ate the berries, and then his face turned black, and then he fell on the ground. And then he writhed, and then Fred didn't get up anymore. And that's a cautionary tale, right? And mm -hmm. so, yes. 
switching to television. Sure. Walter White in Breaking Bad. Uh, is he unlikable or is he ambiguous? Because there's there's a bit of a difference. He yeah. becomes more unlikable as the story goes along, right? Yes. But he started very likable, yes. right? You just had all sorts of empathy for this poor guy. I mean, what else could happen? Here comes the you know satellite out of the sky to you know to kill him at next. I don't know. Get all the things were going wrong. Sure, he's very relatable because we've all had bad days, we've all had bad months, we've had bad weeks, sometimes we have bad years. We've all recently had some bad years, I'm sure. Um, but yes, his arc is very interesting because he gets... Anybody here read Black Prism? The Black Prism? So, I can't remember the author's name, but this is a really... I don't want to spoil it for you, but if you haven't read it by now, I mean, it's been out for quite some time. Um, the character in there, you're just rooting for the character and he's such a good guy. And um, there's a moment when you realize that everything you thought about this character is wrong. And it's just this moment where your head kind of, well, for me, my head went, wait, what? What? That, it's, and it, but it's so subtly done. It's so beautifully done that you still want to keep reading. Now you want to find out how this person got to where they are and became that person that is now so ambiguous and has been very unlikable in, you know, that you didn't know about, but now you're finding out how unlikable they have been in their lives. And it's just fascinating. And but you, you're, you're, you're kind of, it's kind of like that really, really good friend you have that does something really to piss you off and yet you can't let them go because they've been such a good friend for so long. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, aye, aye. right? Yeah. So I thought that, that that is if you want to find a mentor text for how to, uh, to write in that kind of a vein and give yourself an opportunity to maybe play with that kind of an arc. It's a really good mentor text. And when I say mentor texts, any to me, any book that's published is fair game for mentor text. A mentor text is a book that you look at, you analyze, you, you take components of it apart to see how it was done. You're not looking to plagiarize, you're not looking to copy. What you're looking for is the big brush strokes, the methodologies that the author has used to accomplish something that you're really, that you're really impressed with. Like sometimes it might be, how did I, oh wait, I ended up in backstory and I don't even know how I got there. How did they do that? I have to go read that like three, four times and see if that was slick, right? It's that kind of thing that I'm talking about when I talk about mentor texts. Now I will say I also use mentor texts for how not to do things. Um, if you read a book and you, or you're reading a book and it's the kind of book that you either at any point from beginning to end want to throw at the wall, then that's a, that's a really oh, good not. sign how not to write. Yes, do not well, write like that. There's a good kind of throw it at the wall. But then there's a throw it at the wall and leave it where it lands and let it collect dust and let it die. Yes, that's so the one I'm talking that's about. That's the one we're talking that's about. That's the one I'm talking about. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk a little bit. You know, we brought up Walter. We brought up uh, some very ancient uh, characters. Uh, what other characters... Yes. Okay. This may be controversial, and I'm going to put a disclaimer. I love this character, Loki from the MCU. Loki's a lovable scum. When you get to his TV, to his Disney Plus show, he becomes way more likable. 
But okay. in other cases, he's both good, bad, and unlikable. He's this whole mix of it. Right, and that's as per his character. Yeah. He, he, you know, it's just like the um, the coyote character mm -hmm. in Native American. He is the trickster. He's never going to be quite what he's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and he's never going to be quite honest. And he's, and he's, he can't ever know him because you, he's either you suspect he's tricking you or he is actually tricking you. Yes, or he's setting you up to think he's tricking you, and then mm -hmm. later he's going to trick you for really a bit different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good example. But 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 we like him, right? Yeah. Any examples of characters you start out a book with not liking, and read through the whole book and still there for the ride? Any any suggestions? Any? Where's the, uh? Where's my brain when I when I need it? There's a whole series of books about a character who's been sent to hell by his friends, and he comes back for revenge. And his only thing is that he's going to come out and he's going to take revenge on these people. And he's doing some terrible things, like he cuts a guy's head off and keeps it alive in the closet, and you know, and talks to him, to, it questions him whenever he wants to. To find out new information. Sandman Slim. Sandman Slim, thank you. The Sandman Slim series. Anybody read that? Yes. Yeah, you have, you have. Okay. Do you really like that character at the beginning? Because I didn't. No, you, you really no. don't, but you start to understand, you know, that empathy, that that, that relatability. You, you understand why he's doing what he's doing, and he becomes less unlikable because he then starts to do the save the cat kind of stuff, where he saves the store, or he, you know, or you know, he's helping people despite himself and despite his main goal. He's getting sidetracked into doing good things, and I think that's a really fascinating study in an unlikable character who we we still don't really like him later. He's less unlikable because he's more relatable. Right, so it really for me it comes down to can I relate to the character? Can I understand what's driving them? Uh, Doctor Horrible. Anybody here a Doctor Horrible fan? Well, I've seen it. Okay, <laughs> okay. I am a huge fan of that character arc because he is. I know there was a panel, where did all the mad scientists go? And um, he, to me, is one of my favorite mad scientists because he's the epitome of that uh, person who is doing the wrong things for what he believes is the right reasons, right? So he has a complete misbelief about the world and how it should be and how it isn't and how if he can only influence it in the right ways, Whatever that takes, he's going to do it because he wants to make things better in his worldview. And ultimately, he becomes this villain because he steps over the line, right? So he takes that desire to do good in the world, which is a strength in most of our heroes, right? And turns it into a bad thing at the end. And I just, the, it's just such a great exploration in character. Uh, of that type of character for me that that's one that I'm keeping right I'm keeping that one right here 
Any other example? It was called Dr. Horrible. Dr. Horrible. They try to give that away, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very cartoonish thing. It's, it, it, the full title is Dr. Horrible's Sing Along yes. Blog. Yes, Sing Along Blog. There is a lot of singing. Yes. The songs are an integral part. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I actually I, okay, bought the video like it that much as a as a mentor text and something to study and you know also come on Patrick yeah come on. I remember hearing the term like if someone is like causing problems but not a truly uh, evil character something as they call them the anti-hero so for me an anti-hero is the person who you're following as a protagonist who's okay the tick is an anti-hero to me is anybody a tick fan <laughs> He's always breaking things and doing things, and somehow he stumbles into doing good, even though he's just completely inept. For me, he's an anti-hero. Uh, anybody else want to talk about a definition of anti-hero for them? Yes. Um, not for me personally, because anti and hero, that could mean a lot, but for my husband, anti-hero to him is someone who behaves like a villain for the right reasons. So there's a very thin line between them being a bad guy and them being a person who will get justice whatever the cost is. So from perspective, they're an anti-hero or they're a villain. So back to where we start with Dr. Mm -hmm. Horrible and then where we end up as villain. Mm -hmm. so, so it, I guess it's whether they're likable or not is whether they're an anti-hero. Mm -hmm. Or, I don't know. I, I would submit that it's more the ambiguous hero. Like you say, he's doing bad things for maybe the right reason. My favorite, or, one of his favorite examples is the Punisher. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's an anti-hero. Yeah. Punisher. Now that, Batman, yeah. That's more of a revenge right. anti-hero. But he is, I think of, justice ultimately is what he is pursuing. I think of the, um, uh, John Ringo's The Mercenary. This is a guy who does it for pay. He doesn't care who pays him. But he gets into these situations where he's having to save the village in order to get the guy who's trying to destroy the village. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. He wrote stuff for the wrong reasons. So. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, there you go. He's doing good things. Question on structure. Mm -hmm. So you have a person, I've been advised my first read person, I gotta have some controversy. So is it any better to slowly bring the controversy into it? Little hints like getting mad at this person, he's telling this person to back off. And you know, you're seeing one person not fitting the whole picture, everybody's working towards good, and this person's snapping away at it. Is it better to that? Like, he could be far from the second book. Conflict is, conflict and controversy, um, I think is what you're talking about, mm -hmm. more conflict and tension. Is, is how we kind of address it in, in structure. And there are, there are a couple of things that conflict does for us, all right? Conflict, number one, reveals character. So you don't have to tell us who the character is. You can show us through conflict. So the best way to do that is to think of it in terms of if I am gonna have lunch with, say, you. What's your name? Clay. Clay. Oh, I recognize you now. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's the math. I know that it's very hard. So, um, so then, so you and I are going to go out to lunch, right? And I'm going to be on my very best sharing behavior because I want to impress you. 
you know, we're going to have lunch together. It's going to be a very nice lunch. Maybe I, maybe I want to talk to you about something that's important to me. And uh, so we're sitting there, we're having a lovely lunch, and the waitress comes over, and something happens, and I get coffee spilled in my lap. Now, that's conflict because I have now had hot coffee spilled in my lap. It's not conflict with you, but it is conflict. I'm, I've had something happen to me that sets up conflict. Now, how I react reveals who I am as a person. I can jump up and scream and yell and curse and holler and call names at the waitress or the waiter or whoever spilled the coffee uh, and just be a total meltdown, B.I., you know, whatever. And that reveals that would reveal to you a side of me that you weren't seeing before. Or I could get up, get the napkin, start cleaning up, saying, I'm so sorry, no, 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 it was my fault, you know, don't, please don't, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. That also reveals, if, if, if it were that reaction, that would reveal a different side of who I might be, right? We're all multifaceted, we all have different um, kinds of emotional responses inside of us good the bad and the unlikable mm -hmm. just like our characters and conflict will reveal character so that's number one that's a great use for controversy and character in a in a story the other thing is is that conflict drives the story along because it forces your character to do to act so you the i the the use of conflict in a story is to put up roadblocks for your character that they then have to either jump over, break down, or go around, right? So you're, you're trying to cause them to make a choice. So the way that we look at it, we look at the situation that your character is currently in, whatever that might be from at any point in the book. Then there's a, they make a, they act or make a choice. So you have a situation and they have to react to that. So they react by making a choice or taking action. That sets up a consequence. That consequence creates the new situation and then they have to act again. And that is a loop forward that drives your story in this nice rolling manner to move the story forward. So how you create your controversy is entirely up to you. You can set up the world's gonna end at the beginning and then put all the roadblocks in the way before your character gets there to the world ending. Or you can have small inklings of how bad things are going until you reveal that the world, oh gosh, now we're at a place where the world's gonna end. I have a book where I did that, where we don't know that the outcome is going to be that this whole town is going to implode and the, the uh, wall between worlds is going to implode until we get to that point and now it's a true crisis right but you can set it up any way you want for what works for your book and your genre does that make sense yeah but that's how you want to use those tools is that helpful yeah it is because he increments he's getting to be less and less popular with the main character and he's getting like irritated irritated finally he says this is going to stop and then but I let it go with that for a while. He says, yeah, I, I solved that problem, and then he's going to appear again later. Yeah, you want to keep setting up roadblocks, though, because that's what keeps the reader engaged, because we're interested in the journey. We, I, I can, I'm, I'm sure if you've been in my other panels, you've heard me say this. For me, a book is like a road trip. You're getting in the car with someone. Who is it you're getting in the car with? Who's driving the car? That's your protagonist, typically, right? Your main, your main character. And do you want to get in the car with somebody who's 
truly unlangable and despicable? Probably not. I'm not. This is not the story for me. Um, but you could get in the car with someone who's somewhat unlikable because they're just interesting. They're that interesting and you want to see where they're going to go, right? But you're going to spend hours with this person. Books take hours to read for readers and we want to give them a road trip that's worth their time and their energy. Because as Scott was pointing out, I think it was Scott Hadley was pointing out, books take energy. It's not like you can sit in front of them and they feed you the images. Your brain has to work to translate what's on the page into the story and the images. And brain science with books and stories is so exciting. Because they apparently have done a study where they took a, an audiobook, same audiobook, and they put, uh, they have people kind of wired up on two sides of the country and they start the audiobook at the same exact time and the same areas of their brains tend to light up as the story goes on. So cool. Yes, and that's the geeky part of writing, the sciencey, nerdy part of writing, is that there's all this brain science behind it and you want readers' brains to light up when they're reading your work because that's how you know they're getting that experience. Reading, stories are experiential. You know, we want to experience what it's like to be another character and not have to face those actual dangers, but know what it might feel like. We want to be scared sometimes. We want to get that creepiness. We want to be exposed to that. For whatever reason, the human brain wants to have all those experiential opportunities. And so we hear that's what we want to do, right? We want to give them that. What other questions or comments? Anything else? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking Fisk from Daredevil. He's a character who wants to make a better world. He's a likable character, but he's not a good character. And um, I also on Walter Wright, I find him a horrible character. He is a monster from start to finish. The only thing is you lose what he's trying to hide on him. He starts off evil and unlikable, and he just gets more unlikable. He's going to die, and he's going to take as many people out with him. But is it's he... Yes. Yeah. But people related to him. And I don't know why. Well, I don't know. Struggle. It's the struggle and the, the, that, that feeling like the whole world's against you. We've all had that moment. Who here has not experienced a moment where it felt like the universe is out to get me? Come on. Anybody? You know, come on. I've, I've had moments where I've been like, what the hell, universe? What? What? What'd I do? And, you know, it's just, we all feel like that. And I think, and that's where we touch on back to relatability. They can be good. They can be bad. They can be unlikable. They can be ambiguous. Characters can be just like people. Oh, wait, we want them to be like real people. That's important. We want them to be multifaceted. We want them to be, to feel like, you want to, you want, I want my readers to put down the book later and, and then have them come to me and say, God, I hated that woman. And because, yeah, me too. I hated her too. That's why I wrote her like that. You know, I just, because she was all those women put together or all those personality things put together of the times that I've had interactions with certain people that really pissed me off. Um, 
Where's Jack Fowler when we really need him? Right. <laughs> right. Currently not sleeping 24 hours. <laughs> but it's, it's, I want my characters to be realized to that level. I want readers to think about them after the story's over. Like I'm still thinking about The Midnight Library by Matt Hagg and Nora Seed, who, by the way, whose last name is actually symbolic of a big theme in that story. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to leave it there because I want you to read that book. It's a really good book. Um, so I want, she's realized to me. I realize her I, as a person. I This is a woman who is suffering from depression and she's getting kicked and then she gets kicked again and she gets kicked again and she gets kicked again and and then she makes a choice and then we want and then we're so bought in to how this we're worried about her and we're so bought into what she's going to do next that we can't help but follow her story through right we just we got to know we got to know how it turns out for Nora it's just like that's, those are the kinds of stories that resonate best with me. Now, you can have an action story. You can have... Who here reads Murderbot? You want to talk about an ambiguous... Okay. Love Murderbot. Right? But such an ambiguous character. Well, he's kind of the classic, he does the right thing for the wrong reasons. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> he really just wants to watch television. Right? It's such a and yet we read it and we and we're relating because who uh, who here hasn't ever felt like oh world just leave me alone so I can go I just want to go for me it's World of Warcraft I just want to play my game you know or I just want right. to write or you know who here hasn't felt like that and it, it's so weird because I didn't think I would relate to that character at all and then, because everybody was telling me about it before I read it, and then I was like, oh, I see why people read this. <laughs> so, really, character, the importance of it is you can write your characters any way you want, as long as they're accessible and relatable. I mean, those are really the bottom lines. And interesting. Interesting, well, and engaging. You, know, you want to engage. And ways to do that, ways to do that are to make sure that you show don't tell, you reveal character through conflict, you get it on the, you, you do that in scene. So that, okay, here's the show don't tell spiel. We hear this a lot and people kind of get it in their heads that they have to, that what's the difference between showing and telling? Showing is in scene, actually happening, the actions are taking place, the conversations are taking place. Telling is summary, typically summarization of some aspect that's pretty that's the easiest way I can explain it yes you know I hear that a lot and that's how I kind of did the drafts of the novel I'll get a couple of drafts going on a uh, trilogy but then in reading it I found that people don't feel like they're getting to know the characters enough in part of it because there's not enough what's going on in their head so you know i just wondered if you could speak to that oh, it's coming right up thank you for that nice nice i'll pay you later for feedback. <laughs> um another way to do it to keep characters engaging is to get emotion on the page and getting the emotion on the page can be done in a couple of different ways one is through showing showing the how they see the world sense the world so here's, here's a really a good example of character emotion on the page, or character emotion. So on a good day, I go out into my living room, 
and I look around at my shelves and over here I've got my Harley Barbies and over here I've got all my Lord of the Rings fi action figures and back here I've got Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla has a Godzilla hand puppet that he's mocking <laughs> Godzilla with and you know I mean this is my how my brain is inside and so my my living room is reflective of that and I'm like this is me this is who I am and the cats are there and the sun is shining in through the window and I'm just like this is this is how this is who I am you know I, I border on hoarder but you know only border and um, and I'm happy you know and it, it feels good and I see the bright sun coming in through the window and I and I feel comfortable and it colors the lens through which I'm seeing the world on a bad day I walk into my living room and I see I haven't dusted in two years it's like oh my god it's just awful it's just terrible and the sun that's coming in through the window is showing me all the floaters and the cat hair and what the hell I can't even sit on my couch in black pants because my cat's been there and, and and my whole viewpoint has been colored by a different emotion that I brought into the room with me because as a person as people we have different emotions if I get up grumpy or if I walk come home grumpy and I see my my own that's one setting one environment that I can see multiple different ways right or there's a storm and I realize that I have this really sturdy double brick walled house and it's not going anywhere and the electricity might go out but you know I have a little lamp and I can still read you know, so I'm, and I'm feeling safe. It's, it's the emotion through which we see the world. This is how we want to show our characters in story. What they're feeling should be reflected in how they're seeing and sensing and speaking. So words like that I might use uh, for a character who's in my living room on a good day is, a bright and sunny day and um, oh this coffee is really nice and I, I have a really nice mug from my indie bookstore and this is lovely and I'm happy and I'm comfortable it's comfortable words I'm going to stroll across my living room strolling or sauntering or I might even twirl through the room or dance how I'm moving in the world how I'm acting in the world is all nuanced by the word choice that you use for how you show us what the characters are doing and saying and feeling right same thing on the dark side I might scuffle across the room or shuffle across the room or just stop dead in the doorway and stare um, on a bad day that is also showing rather than telling the and when you show with nuanced language it lights up the brain and the and the reader gets it right the reader gets it and that emotion that you're trying to convey is conveyed into their hearts and into their heads so that is a emotion through character lens now through sensory detail you can that's visual. We just did visual. We did visual because visual is primary for humans. But you can do the same thing with all five senses, right? The sense of smell, like nuanced words, like does the 
baking smell good or does it smell bad? Or can I smell the garbage can or the cat litter box? And is that what I'm focusing on? Because your emotions are causing you to focus on certain things. We, when we're feeling negative, we tend to focus on the negative. When we're feeling positive, we tend to focus on the positive. And characters should do the same. And that's a really, that's the best tool I can give you for getting emotion on the page. I have some worksheets for that that I um, use in my book coaching as well and in my teaching. So um, just make a note of that. And does that answer the question? It's very helpful. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. And when you see me leaving in five minutes, it's just because I have to check out. It's fine. It's like fine. I get it. Any other questions? Any other craft questions that, uh, about how to show a, a character on, or, you know, structure their journey or any of that? Because all of that relates to what we're talking about. We're talking about character, really, deep down. Yeah. Well, in my case, I'm showing how lead character failed and shows his vulnerability and therefore so far we've been the expert and all of a sudden boom it drops and you pick them back up and go forward so that kind of okay so um yes the other aspect of that because tagging off you and also off the previous question is thoughts on the page the internal dialogue that you give for uh, for your characters can be also important so sometimes we want them thinking and we don't want to have to say they thought. You were getting away from that in craft nowadays. So when you see the, the structure of craft, a lot of times you don't see that anymore. Uh, so when you have a character, here's a really good way to do this. If you have a character thinking, go through your manuscript and do a search on thought and look and see if you can change that into a either an action item that shows what they're feeling. He slammed his fist on the table. Damn it, he should have done a better job. That is, you don't have to say he thought. You can, we get it, right? We've all felt that way. And so what you're doing is giving us how he felt in a way that we can relate to. And we're gonna absorb that. And then the same thing with, um, when we talked to, uh, I talked earlier about the sensory words. Go through your manuscript and look for places where it said, where you say, smelled, heard, uh, walked. Walked is a big one because you can nuance the heck out of that word. You can nuance that word so many ways. Get a, thurs get a thesaurus. Get a, get a, um, uh, uh, they have them online now. You nuance the crap out of that. Um, then, uh, so any of the sensory felt, I felt, I felt. Get rid of all those if you can. Also, dialogue tags. We're getting away from dialogue tags in craft. No, we're not even using said. We're using action tags. So again, damn it! I should have saw that coming and slammed his fist on the table. You don't have to say he said. And if you know who the character is, now that's we we use said when we need to ensure that you know if who's speaking, uh, and we want to avoid. Um, pronouns that are um, confusing to people. So especially if you have more than three, two people in a room having a conversation. But for the most part, you can get rid of, get rid of those dialogue tags. You can just dump one. And then you, it tightens your manuscript and it moves the reading, reader's pace up, so. I do uh, thoughts in italic first person, which brings the reader into the head of 
care. Gee, I never should have done that. If you're in first person present, or um, or if you're in first person um, through the whole novel and you're first person um, close, you know you don't even have to use italics anymore. No, I use uh, I usually write in third, third person. person. Okay, and then yes, and then in that case, I would go with italics for thoughts, but um, uh, for the most part, it, it, we're also getting away from using italics for thoughts, but more in the first person uh, direct. Yeah, so you don't need them there. Because we know it's the character thinking. Slammed his fist. I should have done better. It doesn't have to be in italics. So, what else? I'd love to talk about this stuff. This is where my joy is. Yeah. yeah. I sometimes lead into uh, not saying thought, but he remembered. Yeah, so if you're going to do a flashback or if you're going to share a memory, yes, we do need to cue um, some way. It doesn't have to be he remembered. It can be, it was just like that time when, if there are ways to do it um, so that you can switch up your language so that it's not always using the same exact words and it, so the reader doesn't start to see. We are trained, we're genetically, was it scientifically, humans look for patterns. Our brains look for patterns. So if you use the same phrase over multiple times or the same uh, personal tick for a character over and over and over, you wanna be judici judicious about that because um, our brains start to see the patterns and it starts to look very repetitive. So just be aware of that. So try to change your language up a little bit here and there and not use the same phrase every time for a memory. Yes? Just kind of along those lines, there was some thinking a few years back that, that dialogue tags, like said, become invisible to the reader until audiobooks started to become popular. And then all of a sudden, you notice it. Yeah. So a good tip, if you want to use those ticks judiciously, is to read your work out loud. And you'll find all kinds of, oh, well, I have that word here, but I also use it here. Um, let's make some changes or shift things around. Yeah, and there are actually programs that'll read it to you now, so you can just put it on, put your, turn it, put it on your computer and say, read this to me. And it doesn't read it with a, the nice thing about that is that it doesn't read with emphasis where you think the emphasis would be. It just reads it, and so now you're starting to hear all of the things that might sound odd in a way that, um, it, rather than you reading it out loud with, Knowing the voice knowing and the, the emphasis, so yeah, yeah. so there's 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 that can be helpful as well. Yes, um, I was just curious. Uh, can you speak to creating the villain of the piece without having them be so cool they take over, <laughs> and without having them you know making them vivid without having them take over or become a caricature? So first of all, the villain is the hero of their own story always they have their own misbeliefs if you plot if you look at I do character sheets with a lot of my authors because uh, be, partly because of that and partly because of what you were talking about is how do you set up the tension and the conflict throughout and have it ramp up and um, so I'll do character sheets with my clients where I have them do the protagonist the antagonist the um, secondary characters and even the tertiary characters and the reason for that is because what we're looking for is setting up all the characters big world views 
and big ideas like what do they think about life and death what do they think about religion what do they think about um, politics what do they think about money what do they think about all these things right and then you can use that to make them bump up against each other or to put them in the way of your protagonist because or to even just have an argument which also reveals character and reveals internal thinking in a way that's more organic than to try and tell us what somebody thought. So I do that with the villains and we want to make sure that the villain of course is powerful enough that it, they might not be over uh, the, that your, your protagonist may not be able to overcome. There's got to be a question in our mind. Uh, that's why with the Midnight Library with Nora Seed and life and death being the issue, death is a pretty big pro uh, antagonist, right? Um, but it's not even a it's not even a an evil protagonist uh, antagonist. It just is what it is. So when we look at um, villains, and villains can be um, if you're talking about villains who are people specifically and who are characters in the story. Um, because that's a whole nother discussion what kinds of conflicts we can set up. But uh, you want to first make them real. You want to make them very multifaceted. You want to, and, and I'm going to pull one from Save the Cat and say, give them something that we can relate to. A family they care about. A loss. And that's the reason why they are who they are. Um, unrequited love. Uh, something about them that's relatable helps humanize them and keep them from being a caricature. So that's the that's the first piece there. And you know the mwahahahahas. Uh, let's leave that in the comic books. And and then uh, for and then you just have to make sure that your protagonist is a little bit smarter or cleverer or can figure it out. Because Harry Potter was not more powerful than Voldemort until he had his gang together, mm -hmm. but he kept managing to outsmart him. And sometimes almost by accident, but, or, but mostly because of his friends, right? So, you know, you can make them as powerful as you want as long as you make sure that your protagonist has the ability or learns how to outsmart, outwit, or outgun them. I, I think use of the term villain even sets up the kind of story you're writing. Because most of the time, my villains aren't villains, they're just competitors. They have their own agenda. It's not an illegitimate agenda, it's not even an evil agenda. It just crosses with the protagonist. Right. Very often, in my latest soon-to-be-published book, the bad guy really thinks he's doing good stuff. He's protecting his loved ones. Yep. Not in the way that really is a good way to do Hero it. Hero of his own story, right there. Yeah. yeah. So, so that I think are. I hope that answers your question uh, about um, that. But let's also talk a little bit about conflict and what, what kinds of conflict there are in the world now. And we used to talk about what some of you are as old as I am. You know, maybe a couple. Um, I'm, I'm kind of up there. But um, we used to, in grade school or in middle school or wherever, maybe high school for some of us, we learned about the four key kinds of conflict and it was, and we're not gonna, we're gonna, we're going to bring it forward language-wise. We're gonna call it person against person, 
you know, person against other, person against self, that's my internal conflicts. So how am I fighting against myself? Well, I really ought to do this, but I want to do that. We all do that. It's like, really want to play World of Warcraft, but I got to go do client work. You know, we, we all do that. So we have the, in, these internal conflicts. Um, then it's person against nature. And that can be, you know, we see a lot of that in, um, like, oh, all the red shirts that die on the planet because the planet eats them. That's that's person against nature. And it's person against um, society. And we saw we see a lot of that in dystopian where it's the teenagers are right and all the adults are wrong and they, they messed everything up and they have to fight against it, like in the Hunger Games and, and things like that. Um, but there's also um, another column now. And in fact, I've been talking about this for a number of years where I put magic and technology uh, because of fantasy. Um, we have, you know, magic that can be uh, a major conflict, how it works, how it backfires. But technology, who here hasn't beat their head against the keyboard? You know, I, I know I have many times um, and hated on my computer, even though it's, it's not trying to be conflicting, I think, most of the time. But it's, it's, a, it's a big barrier sometimes for me to get my work done. Um, and they're starting to actually, you're starting to actually see if you start to go out online and look at types of forms of conflict, people are pinging on that. And now you're seeing that people are actually layering in. There's like seven types of conflict now in the world that for, of story um, and things like that. So, yeah. What was my point? My point was <laughs> you have lots to choose from to set up barriers for or even just annoyances for your characters on both sides of the uh, of the table of the aisle, your hero, your villain, uh, whomever that is. But it could be as simple as it, see, villains and heroes are the, the, do this. But antagonists and protagonists can often just do this. It can be a, I'm trying to do this, no, I'm trying to do this, what Bruce was talking about. No, but I'm trying to do this, but I'm trying to do this. It's not of head but direct, it's, it's, competing goals that get in each other's ways along the way. So there are a lot of ways to, to do this. A lot of exciting ways. Yes, do you have a question? Well, kind of like in uh, The Fifth Element where the, our hero and the villain, they never actually even see each other or interact with each other in the entire movie. Like, they pass by each other like seconds between in some scenes. And theoretically, you know, our hero was originally employed by the villains, one of the villains' companies, but they never actually interact. They never see each other. Right. They don't. For yeah, a, there's for a manipulative aspect. They don't know yeah, they exist. So. Yeah. Yeah. We have about six more minutes. Anything else? Anybody else want to pick my brain or make a comment? Or what was the name of that first mentor you did? Mentor text? Mm -hmm. The first one? Uh-huh. Black, like Black Prism? Black Prism. No, the one before that. Uh, genius. Uh, oh, Story Genius? Story genius. That's, not a, that's not a mentor text. That's a craft book. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Story Genius. Anything by Lisa Cron. Lisa Cron? Lisa Cron. Uh, her last name is uh, spelled C-R-O-N. Thank you. Yeah. She also does some TED Talks, and she's got a, I think she's got a, an online course that you can take as well. But, uh, you know, I'm a book learner. So everybody learns differently. I'm more of a book learner. 
So I like to synthesize what I get out of a book. I love books. I can talk books all day, so anything else? Any other comments? Buy my books. Come get a bookmark. Uh, look me up online. I also, like I said, I do developmental and uh, line editing for authors. I've got, I've, I did a developmental edit for a book last year that went out and got a self-starred Kirkus review after the author did 99% of what I asked them to do. Yes? What genres do you do? Speculative fiction, pretty much all of them. Uh, and I also do um, most age categories. Mm -hmm. I have some cards here. You can look me up online. I don't do graphic horror. Um, I do poetry. It's not advertised um, because it's that's a very intimate and personal. Mm -hmm. um, but I did just do a couple of uh, poetry edits that I got uh, some very nice feedback on. Uh, poetry editing is an art form that isn't for everyone because you have to really understand the intent of what the poet is trying to do. But I do have cards up here. Please feel free to take one. I have a free email newsletter that comes out once a month with free writing tips, my blog posts, my uh, podcasts, all the things. And um, if you sign up, you get a free character art sheet. So sign up for my email. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.